Um, hey guys, we are entering into uh, the book of Acts, which we were really excited about. We had our introduction last week, which we just kind of go to get the lay of the land on, on uh, its cultural context, the biblical context, uh, sharing a little bit about what's going on with Luke, uh, Theophilus. So you can check that out on your own time, uh, go online. Uh, the slides are there, but also uh, the discussion. I want to encourage you in that. If you need Bibles, you can raise your hand, and we would love to provide Bibles. But also, if you have young people, young kids with you right now, you have Pastor Leon passing out uh, some stuff for them to be hopefully engaging in the sermon, doing a little drawing, things of that sort. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Mike is passing those out right now. We encourage you uh, to have the text. Sometimes we'll be reading text uh, from up front here, but then sometimes we'll be reading text and you have to open up your Bible, okay? So we just want you to be able to navigate that. We also want to point you to uh, being able to write your notes in your program, so I want to encourage you toward that end as well. Um, and finally, we want to encourage you uh, that you can be processing with us uh, through writing down, I'm sorry, asking questions. So in our local context here, we we ask questions. We just want to uh, make sure that we have clarity on what God is saying. So we like to have an open dialogue. We just always ask that you would consider uh, if the question is something that you can ask to me personally or if it's something that can really edify the whole body. If it can edify the whole body, we ask you to please ask the question as a whole because usually people are thinking the same thing and you can bless people toward that end, okay? Uh, so we're going to jump right in uh, to uh, what's going on in Acts. Uh, we just read... Uh, a beautiful passage there in the beginning stages what's going on. Uh, people all have their stuff. If you are turning with Acts 1, you can say amen, and we'll jump right in, okay? It's going to be a moving train, and we want to ask you to keep, uh, stay with us, be here as, um, as uh, come to the series, be inviting individuals so we can be learning more about uh, what Jesus is up to and how he wants to use us for his glory, okay? I'm going to start with verse 1, uh, give you a little, a little background here. It says, uh, in the first book, and we we'll always ask you guys, remember, as we're reading the scriptures, as we're studying the scriptures, I ask you guys always put your, <clears throat> your first century glasses on. Remember, we talk about that, making sure you're thinking uh, uh, with the mindset of a first century Jew, because the Bible just didn't plop out of the sky in the middle of nowhere um, for us now to hang out and be really cool Americans. But actually, it was written in antiquity. And those authors then had something specifically that they wanted to say to those people then. And then so we, for us to understand the meaning of the text, we have to first understand what the intention was of the author uh, during the time in which they wrote it, okay? So with that, we, gotta, we have to try to fight uh, to take ourselves out of this cultural milieu. We have to fight to say, this is how I want to perceive this. This is what I want to see. And we have to say, what were they seeing um, as a Jewish person or a Greek person uh, listening to this, uh, the different texts that we'll be reading uh, throughout our next uh, uh, couple years in Hidden Acts. Okay, guys? So just remember that. So look how it starts. He says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay? And so we, we, we briefly looked at that uh, last week. Uh, we started by, by helping uh, the whole crew here understand that Luke, who is the author of, of this two-series uh, book, right? We have Luke and Acts. Luke is the author of that, and he's writing to Theophilus, who is probably uh, a Greek leader at some level uh, because he's being termed uh, in the same way that Felix and Festus was termed uh, in Acts. And he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so I just want to set the stage here. Uh, think about it, guys. So Jesus actually is alive and well, and he's trying to, to make a case to Theophilus, like, hey, you've heard some certain things about what's going on with this Christian way, and so I want to set the record straight. And so he wants to start by setting the stage by saying, hey, here's, here's what's, in a nutshell, when you look at Acts, I mean, when you look at Luke, uh, the book of Luke, he's saying what you've learned through the book of Luke is that men are sinful, and this is him talking to this Greek leader, Right? A man is sinful. God is loving. God could have destroyed all of us because we had the audacity to think we could be our own guys and we sin. And then God doesn't do that, but you get this book of Luke that shows that he, he loves us so much. You know, he loved us in a verb. He loved us in a noun, he says in the scriptures, uh, and that he sends his son, Jesus Christ, a uh, very God and man, to live a perfect life, to do what Israel could not do, right? And then to die on a cross, but then to validate that he's God by not just dying on a cross because any of us can die on a cross, but only one person can rise from the dead after three days. And that was Jesus, our king. So he's resurrected from the dead, showing that he's alive and well, that he's victorious, and that he has victory over Satan, over sin, over death, and over evil. 
right? But at the very same time, while all this is happening, while Jesus is culminating himself on the throne as king of not just the Jews, but all creation, at the very same time, God is using Satan, who's also fully defeated, but he's using Satan to what heap to heap judgment on the unbeliever, but also to sanctify the believer. And so one of the ways he sanctifies the saints is that Satan right now is out to kill and destroy and to lie. And he will, it says in the scriptures that he would even deceive the elect if it were possible. Okay, so that's his job. Even though he can't deceive the elect, he really, really, really wants to. And so that's what happens in our life. And that's what perseverance is all about, right? Is that throughout every day, throughout the drama of broken relationships, throughout the drama of our own sin that we try to hide, throughout all of our schizophrenia of like, well, we love Jesus because God has born us again in the spirit, but yet we find ourselves always re-trying re- to relive the old life and the old man. All of that, Satan wants to lie to you and me and say, it's not real. You're not real. And that's basically our day. We fight to proclaim Christ. We fight to make him known. Satan wants to lie to us. And that's basically the journey of the believer. And in all of that, we're asking God to give us the grace to have joy, to experience joy as we fellowship and as we share in this cross that we carry by God's grace. So Jesus is alive and well, uh, but Satan doesn't want us to think he's alive and well. He wants us to think that Jesus is actually dead, right? And that, and that basically Satan is king or that this world is king or that you are king, that anyone is king but Jesus. And that's basically the framework that we live in as people. And so that's, so that's basically what's going on in Luke in a nutshell. Okay, that's a, a brief synopsis. Or well, I would even say that's what's going on in the whole, in the canon uh, even up to this point. Satan wants you and me to think that there's a period, but Jesus is saying in the beginning here that there's a comma, okay? He says, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, that, hey, what happened isn't that Jesus just died, he rose from the dead, and now things really start to happen. Now God is going to be doing something. Uh, he's going to be, he's beginning, he's just now beginning to show his ways and his wonders. And the way he does that is through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we said last week, through his people. Now I start there just to give us a, a framework of like, okay, so here's where we are. Here's the reality. That's the reality. And so if you ever wondered, so what, what's church for? What's Christianity about? I want to propose to you that that's what, that's what Luke is doing right now in Acts. He's saying that Christianity, that church, the book of Acts is all about saying that all of this is about Jesus. Okay? And what Luke does in the book of Acts, uh, which is really cool, is he does two things. He pulls together all of his eyewitnesses, all the things that he actually witnessed as he walked around with Paul. He, gets, he comes to Christ in Antioch, and he gets to see missionary journeys. He gets to do, do all these things. He write those. He wrote those things down, but he's also a great compiler. And so a lot of the information that we get in Luke, right, and, and a lot of the information, well, probably all the information we get in Luke, and a lot of the information we get in Acts is actually compiled. He's not a witness to. And so he's bringing it all together to give us the snapshot that we're going to see today. In addition, I want to remind us also that, that the, the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts overlap. You realize that, right? Because it's those 40 days of his resurrection. Okay? And so Luke is trying to tell us certain different things twice for a reason. So your end of Luke 24 and the beginning of Acts are overlapping. So Luke is setting a stage. Here's another thing that Luke wants us to understand, and that he's, I want to say he wants Theophilus to understand, but we have to get this too. And this is what's happening in the beginning of these verses as he's introducing, hey, Theophilus, I just want you to understand what I'm writing to you is legit. You need to get this, and you need to get something right now because you're in this Greek culture where everything's about philosophy. And we see this even today, right? He's saying, so, so I, 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 I get where you're coming, but I want to tell you something. The reason why I'm writing these things to you, the reason why I'm telling you Jesus did these things, the reason why I'm telling you that Jesus is alive and well right now, and I'm telling you all the things that he began to do and teach, is because Christianity, and let's not miss this, guys, Christianity is not about philosophy. It's about a person. See, philosophy, see, all religions are about philosophy. It's about a a, a group of ideas. It's about a, a way of being. Some people focus their whole philosophy on a place. Whereas Christianity is dogmatically different because Christianity is about history. It's about history. 
And so whenever we talk about Christianity, we talk about the person of Jesus Christ actually living on this earth, dying on the cross, and rising from the dead. And so the beauty of that, just like other people like to go see places and enshrine them as holy or perfect, we don't do that. I love the fact that people, Christians, all around today, we don't visit a tomb because the tomb is empty. Right? We don't go to a place because he's alive. This is just the framework in which Luke is writing. We haven't even hit the verses yet. This is just a framework. So, so Luke wants to convince you and me. He wants to convince Theophilus. He's saying, hey, he began to do and teach. Romans 15, 8 talks about that in a certain way as well. It's helping us understand that he is still speaking and teaching, and he's speaking and teaching through the people of God. So the scriptures say, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, trying to make it really clear, began to do and teach. He's doing it. He's still doing it right now until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then it says in verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So keep in mind, guys, can you imagine? Put yourself back there, okay? You're having this amazing ride. You're walking with the Savior of the world. You still don't really get it yet, but you're seeing him do miracles. You're seeing perfect kindness, perfect courage. Can you imagine being with someone who always says things perfectly? Right? You're seeing people over and over again try to catch him in something, and they couldn't because he's perfect. Right? And he wouldn't cheat, the Bible says, and, and, and use his godness. He would yield to the Holy Spirit. And you see him raise people from the dead. You see someone, imagine that, guys. This happened in history. Someone hands him a fish, and then he feeds thousands of people. And you're watching this with your eyes. Can you imagine that? You're watching his prayer life. See, the thing is, Jesus lived on the earth, and then he, he lived a perfect life, and they were witness to these things. And they saw the miraculous. They saw the Holy Spirit's power be shown through this man in the way he talked to people, the way he loved people, the way he healed people, the way he rose people from the dead. And then all of a sudden, they grabbed this guy. And I always remember, I love, I love how he's talking here, the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. See, the thing about Christianity, people love what Jesus did, right? You go and minister to people, people don't argue with that, do they, Matthew? They don't argue. Yeah, Jesus is a really cool guy. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he was really, I really love the things he stood for. You know why people get mad? What he said. What he said. People love what he did. We don't like his words. How, can, I, can I bring that to today? That's not just unbelievers. That's Christians these days. We love what he did, but then we start looking at the scriptures and going, well, okay, I like that part, but I don't like him saying this part, right? How many of us, right, we, we, we want Jesus to agree with what we think, right? And so guess what? They said, well, well you're, you're saying that you're God. I mean, Caesar is not God. Oh, my goodness, you're blaspheming. What are you trying to do? You're trying to change the whole culture here. We don't like what you're saying, Jesus, even though we love what you're doing. And so all of a sudden, they bring him on charges. They judge him. They give a verdict. And they walk him and march him on the hill of Golgotha. And then they murder him. Oh, may I say, then we murdered him. Right? Our sin. We murdered our Savior. Imagine the disciples, guys. Get, go back there with me. Go back there with me, young people. Go back there with me. All of a sudden, they're seeing a guy who's awesome being killed. What happened? I thought you were coming back to restore all of mankind. I thought he was the one. How would you feel at that point? You're Jesus' mom, and you're seeing your son being killed. Can you imagine that? You can't go help him. Imagine that. It's right there. People are spitting on him. They're making fun of him right there. Imagine that. 
And you're honest. Imagine the disciples. Three years, all that journey. How would you feel? What would you think? What would you do? What would you think? Are they going to come after me next? Some of them thought that, right? Because some of them said, wait a minute. Weren't you with him? I thought I saw you in that crowd. I thought you were handing that plate out to people. What did Peter say? Not, no, man, not me. They're coming after me too. If I, if I identify, if I, if I stand outside the camp with him, they'll get me too. This is the context. Defeated, totally defeated, okay? Now, Resurrection Sunday happens. Oh, my goodness. They get word back. No, Savior has risen, okay? But some is just words at this point. You sure? What would you have done? The Bible says that those guys who spent that awesome ring with the Lord during that time, they went fishing. That's what it says in, in John. That's what it says. They went fishing. Right? Remember? Read your Bible. It says, that whole run, it says, and they, here they're out fishing. Can you imagine? Why? The author wants you to know there is a sense of defeat. We don't know what to do. I guess we'll go to what's normal. We are fishermen. I, I, I share that with you because I want you to understand what he's saying here. These are overlapping. See, Jesus had to show himself because these guys were hurting. You see that? See, verse 3 should mean something. When you look at verse 3 and you see, it says, hey, I had to present myself alive to them after suffering. What, we, what does he say in the scriptures? By many proofs. It wasn't just enough for Jesus to go, see? Scripture says many proofs. You know some brothers in there like, whatever. Yeah, man, you look like Jesus. Right? But it says he had to show them. That's why we talk about doubting Thomas, which I don't think we should call him doubting because he's not doubting anymore. You know, Thomas had to go and had to realize the resurrected body that, oh, he's not just an apparition. He's not, he's not just a spirit. Oh, he is a living body. I can touch him. And guess what? This dead dude rose from the dead. There's no worms hanging off him. Why? Because his body is, he's, he's, he's in his resurrected body, right? Which is a foretaste of our resurrected body. And you get to get a preview of this. Can you imagine? A body where you can touch it, right? But at the same time, it can walk through walls. Highlight your boy. What? Come on now. Right? Where, where you're perfect and you're not like, uh, but yet he still had the holes in his hand. Where you get up in your resurrected body, you're still hungry. You eat fish. He's sitting down eating with the guys. Can you imagine you just saw your savior on a cross? You watched the whole thing and now you're sitting there. You know, you weren't eating too. You know, you was like this. Looking at him. I want to get us there because I just think we think it's a story. This is history. This really happened. The guy came into a room as a resurrected being. They touched him. They saw his glory. That he looked kind of like Jesus, but kind of not. That's why they couldn't recognize him. Is that you? And they watched him eat. And the scripture says he hung out with them. He ate breakfast with them, guys. So they were crushed. And now he has to prove he's alive. And he does that. He needs to prove that the mission I had already given you is unstoppable. And that I'm the leader of that unstoppable mission. He had to, he had to convince these guys. Right? Now, it wasn't just a petting zoo, the scriptures say, right? Because it says not only did he do the proofs, did he eat with them, did they touch him, did he ask, answer questions, all that. That was, that was great. He had to do that. It says he had to do this for 40 days, right? You, 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 see, you see, you can imagine that. You would need that. I would need that. Right? The first time Jesus would appear, it would be cool. And then after the first scenario of persecution or something, I forget. And it seems like he had to keep appearing. I want you to understand this is real. This is not a dream. This is serious. And look what it says. He just didn't appear so they can pet him and go, oh, wow, Jesus is really real. I touch Jesus. You touch Jesus. We look at Jesus. It was deeper than that, right? He says, also, he took him to seminary. You see that? It says, for 40 days, he started teaching the kingdom to them, the kingdom of God. 
Okay, now I need to tell you something now. I need to help you understand something. So this is what's going on. He's preparing these guys. So he taught them the scriptures saying, look what it continues on to say here. He just didn't teach them the kingdom of God. He didn't teach them just about the understanding that, you know what? You see how I look? That's how you're going to look one day. Praise the Lord. You see, I'm bringing in, I'm ushering this new kingdom. That new kingdom I told you about, it's inaugurated right now in your appearing. He shared all that. He helped them understand it now and not yet. What restoration is going to look like? Oh, I'm not just here for the Jews. I'm here for the whole world. Oh, I'm the God of the whole world. I'm going to bring heaven and earth together for the glory of me and the Father. He gave him that lesson, but then he continues on the scripture say, look what it says. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart. Can you imagine, guys? Again, go back there with me. <coughs> I love this. Imagine now, you're excited, your savior gets murdered, but then he comes back and he tells you, hey, I'm really the king. Now you hype now, right? You're excited. You're like, let's do this. It's on now. Watch what we do to the Romans. Look at Jesus. It's on now. You all excited. And he says, hold up, hold up. He says, you need to wait. And while staying, he says with them that he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem with them, he ordered, uh, he said, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John the Baptist, uh, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See what he does there? He says, wait. And he starts kind of re, re-developing and, and, and kind of restructuring their thinking about what's going to happen in the ushering of new creation, which is what we all need sometimes. Right? They were thinking, it's on, go get them, Jesus. Jesus says, no, 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 you don't get this. But by verse 11, you're going to know, I'm not going to go get them. You're going to go get them. Right? So look what he does here. So he says, but wait a minute, you need something. Now, I, let, me, let me try to process this a little bit because this gets kind of crazy. Okay, now, all right, we, we are a reformed body, but I'm going to challenge us in our thinking a little bit, okay? And my reformed brother is going to get kind of nervous. Uh, but I want to I first share, before I, before I go on, that there's a, couple, there's a couple frameworks of what people think happen here. The question we got to ask ourselves is, what does he mean when he's talking about baptism? What is the essence of being baptized by the Holy Spirit? That's the question on the table uh, that I want to make sure that we as a local body are at least processing together, okay? What does he mean when he says that? An extremely important term that we need to process with. Now, there's different camps in this whole framework of baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, you have uh, just, and there's, there's more camps than two, but I'm just going to give you the main two. All right, many times uh, when you hear baptism of the Holy Spirit, because the word baptizo is immersion, identification. You know, we I've said that four or 500 times in this local body. I know all you guys are tired of, me hear, tired of hearing me say that. It's baptizo. It's identifying into the family of God, right? We, when we get baptized into the people of God, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you can turn there to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Why don't you go ahead in your Bibles, get used to doing some Bible gymnastics with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, very famous verse. The scriptures say, look what it says, guys. It says, for just as one body, verse 12, if the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, so in that context, uh, it's very clear that he's talking about this, this, this sense of immersion into the family of God. He's talking about conversion. He's talking about new birth, regeneration, right? So that's what he's talking about. So a lot of times individuals see baptism because it is mentioned in these ways many times in the New Testament that we see it as immersion into the family of God, that people are not believers, and then they become believers. And that is totally orthodox. And if you ascribe to that view for this verse, you are in a camp of a lot of people, although I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think what's happening here is he's talking about baptizo in, a, in the sense of, of, of conversion, necessarily. There's another camp uh, where he talks about uh, baptism, and it comes off in the sense of empowerment, extraordinary power. All right, guys? So when you think about in Joel, you know, he talks about if you read Joel in your own time, write down Joel chapter 2, read the whole chapter, 
Okay, guys, I want to specifically just look at uh, 32 and 33. It says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, this is what he's talking about after, uh, I'm going to propose to you this baptism he's talking about. This is the pragmatic expression of that baptism that we we're going to see later in Acts. And here's what he says happens. And it shall come to pass, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. And the Lord shall said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And he talks about your, your, your uh, in verse 28, 29, you guys are going to prophesy. and uh, You guys are going to have dreams and have visions. Uh, and he goes on to talk about the supernatural wonders that are going to accompany, accompany this sense of baptism. Okay? Now, there's reasons why I believe that in this, culture, in this context, this context here, he's actually talking about empowerment. He's talking about a supernatural, extraordinary empowerment for a specific purpose, for kingdom mission. Okay, I, want to be, I just want to be really clear here, and I can explain myself in a moment. So I'm saying I, I kind of disagree and I say kind of because I think both exist, and that's where I stand. I don't think that is one or the other. It seems that the Bible gives room for both expressions, and it's based on the scenario and the context in which you're reading. I would say context is always king. That's what you're taught, even in, in regular English grammar, let alone uh, theological framework grammar. So, so I would say, first and foremost, we have good reason to believe that these guys are all believers, right? Romans 8, chapter 9, uh, verse 9. John uh, chapter 3, uh, we even think of in John 20, remember he talks, he tells the guys, he says, I'll give you an example, he says, you know, uh, he says, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, and then it says, and then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. What's going on there? Is he talking about they became Christians, or is he saying at that moment he, that God did something? See, this gets me out of my reform box a little bit. That God did something to him, to those guys, uh, to empower them for a purpose or mission. So my conclusion is this. Can you go? I would say... You know, as you think of, I mean, these are more, another examples of I was, when he says, and repentance and the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses. Uh, notice down here in verse 49, this whole concept will be enclosed. He says, then behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And when you see that word clothed, on power on high is used a couple times in the Old Testament. Each time, it's always for a specific purpose. They're empowered to do something specifically. So fact check that. The framework of, the, of how he uses clothed. So I would say the conclusion is that both are true. And that's a matter of context. That baptism refers here to one being supernaturally equipped to accomplish kingdom purposes. Yes, sir. Yes. The question that Matt, that Matt has is that, is this similar to being filled? And I'm going, I'm actually going to um, keep, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Is it similar to being filled? Uh, I would say, I don't want to, I don't think it's a semantic issue, but I think, I think our danger as people is this, and I'll just give give away what I want to share now. I think our dangerous people is this. When we hear the terms baptism, field, um, we, we, we get focused on the external manifestation of it. And so our next thing is like, so what does it mean? How do I know if I'm filled? How do I know if I've just been baptized supernaturally for God to use me on mission in a supernatural way? And I don't necessarily see that being the biblical framework. It seems to me that the point of, of God telling us of these things is so that we can be first aware and second expectant. Not necessarily saying I'm going to put my stamp on what is and what's not. But basically saying, I mean, we can do that in the sense of biblical, like if you're doing something crazy. But God, but God and, I, and I see this in my own life, God says, I want you, Eric, to believe I can do that. And that if I don't help you understand that I want to empower you to do supernatural things, not for you, but for me, I want you to first know that, I want you to believe that, and then I want you to expect that. And I want to propose that's the posture in Scripture. That the posture is that this is true, so are you ready for it? So now with that said, then I go, so, so I would say feeling is more of is, is a simple sense of yieldedness, right, where, where God says we can ask to be filled and he'll fill us, and that it seems to be a yieldedness that the Holy Spirit could, 
basically we say, Lord, you take control. And that as God is, as God is controlling us and that God is like the ruler and the Lord of our life, we are walking in spirit filledness. Whereas I would say baptism, so I would say spirit filledness is kind of like how we live our life. We can be spirit filled in life or we cannot be spirit filled in life. Now we are baptized, boom, as a believer, but I want to say that the Bible shows there's too many examples for me to turn a blind eye to where God doesn't say, you know what? I, I want to do something crazy right now. And so I'm going to boom, do something serious in your life right now for my glory. So, and I'm not, if you knew, I'm not meaning Yale. I'm just kind of like getting excited and stuff. So, um, yeah. <laughs> he says, yes, Sarah. Yeah, this is, where it gets, this is where it gets crazy. So, I know, now don't like stop coming to church, right? Um, so, so here's the thing. So, the question on the table is what's Pentecost for, right? I think that's really the question on the table. Was Pentecost, was, before Pentecost, no one had the Holy Spirit, right? And now everyone, and then people now had the Holy Spirit. Where, so, so that's, that's, that's really the question on the table, right? So, I would say, and I, and, and I, and I have a lot of good, you know, um, ma'am, our president of, of Gordon Conwell, and I can go to, you know, different, different fact, different people who would say, yeah, it's hard to say that God was not fit, having people walking in the spirit or being believers before Pentecost. I just, I just, I, I get, I get theological frameworks. I just think that's a box that to me seems kind of, I, I can't be there and feel like I'm being responsible to the text. Because I'm watching these men, you know, walk with the Lord, believe on Jesus. And so do I believe that, that people come to Christ and that, you know, Romans 8 says, if you do not have the spirit of God, you are not a son of God. So you can't be a son of God unless God rebirths you spiritually, John 3. Okay? So if I believe that people are, when they become Christians, that God actually ontologically does something in us and takes dead people and make us alive, when we by faith say, I love you, Jesus then I would say that our, my box is blown up, that people actually had the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. But what Pentecost is about, and basically what the book of Acts is about, is about how God gives his spirit upon all flesh, which I'm going to try to prove throughout the two years, is that it's not necessarily that, that no one had the spirit, but that God is now doing something in people where, wow, so Greeks get the spirit too? Syrians get the spirit too? Wow, these people, and then he's going around. John, people, John the Baptist get, you know, those of John's baptism get the spirit. I want to say that's the framework of what's going on in Acts, right? A little messier, totally okay with healthy disagreement. Both camps are my brothers and sisters, and we fight together in fellowship. I would just say it seems to me to be overwhelming evidence that God was doing something in people before Pentecost. I hope that helps. Very messy. All right. So you can disagree with me. Don't call me a heretic, though, please. Um, am I making sense? Now, I'm, now, give me now what I want you to do. Don't close your shade. Keep your shade open. And let's continue to go through Acts and give me an opportunity to hopefully show you why this seems to be the whole framework of the book is that God has given the spirit to more people than Jews. That's just, I wouldn't say that's the point of the book. Well, one of the points in the sense of baptism. Okay. Guys, I'm so sorry. I don't have my, my, my phone, and that's bad for you because that means I don't know what time it is, which means we can go for a lot longer. So I don't want to do that. So uh, you guys, you're, can I borrow your phone real quick just to know what time it is? Come on, brother. <laughs> Work with me now. <laughs> all right. Um, let me see. Sorry, guys. I, I want to I keep you here all day. Okay. How are we doing? All right. Okay. So... Um, where were we? Okay, so now that, so I want to say that is simply what Jesus is trying to do uh, in Acts with the whole sense of baptism. Um, so now let's continue to read uh, to verse, verse 6, guys. So he's saying, I want you to receive the special power uh, so that you can experience what I'm about to tell you to do now. And he says, uh, he tells them that he's going to baptize them with the Spirit. Now in verse 6, they're like, oh, sweet. And so they're excited because when they hear this whole concept of like uh, God is, you know, going to baptize us, we're going to have this power. As you're speaking of the kingdom, they're thinking that restoration is about to happen now. 
And that's the reason why they ask this question. They say, so when, uh, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Right? And, and that's a very legit question for these guys because they're kind of like, well, you, you're showing all the markers of, of restoration and new kingdom uh, coming. And he's like, well, you're kind of right. Right? And I love that Jesus doesn't rebuke them, even though he just gave them 40 days of seminary training. Right? He doesn't rebuke them. He's like, hey, that's cool, but let me, help, let me kind of reframe what you're thinking. Right? Because we also know that the kingdom does come, and it's here, but Jesus wants to kind of reframe their thinking a little bit. And here's what he says. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Uh, which, by the way... You know, if you, if somebody wants to bet you that I know when Jesus is coming back, that's not gambling. That's a sure bet. You can take that. You have our authority in this church because that no one knows. The Bible is really clear. No one knows. So when people do that, and it's always amazing to me, you know, people did that during two, year 2000, Y2K, actually uh, last, last year, you know, because didn't Nostradamus or somebody have some thing or whatever. Um, and no one ever apologizes when it doesn't happen. I just wish they'd go, oops, my fault. We all still here. No one does that. Oh, well. Um, where was I? Okay. So, so then he says, hey, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see the posture there, guys? I don't want us to miss this. You see the posture? The posture there is the reason why I'm giving you this baptism, the reason why I'm clothing you on high is because there's a purpose that you are being asked to accomplish and you can't really do that on your own strength. In these guys in particular, there's something serious I'm asking you to accomplish, basically the construction and the formulation of the church, and you're not going to be able to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to clothe you to be able to do that. A few things I don't want you to miss. Look at the text there, guys. First, I don't want you to miss that when he gives this promise, he says, hey, first, I want you to know that the, uh, I, want to, I want you to focus on mission, verse 7. You see that? Um, he says, hey, it ain't about for you to know what time I'm coming back. Notice that now. Now, again, I am a, a, a serious doctrinal Christian. I am excited about Jesus' second coming. I, I say with all of you, Lord, Maranatha, Lord, Lord Jesus, come. Uh, I, I can't wait for his appearing, as the scriptures tell us. But I want you to notice the posture there, that Jesus redirects their focus and says, don't worry about when the kingdom coming fully. Don't worry about what I'm doing. You see that? He says, I want you to worry about what I'm asking you to do. I want us to understand that posture because that's a biblical posture. Not that we can't desire, we need to, we are excited about, but he puts the focus on mission. He says the believers' focus in life should be about mission. Okay? So we shouldn't be apologetic when we're telling people, actually, no. People are like, so you want, you want me to, everything for me to be about Jesus? Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that. I don't think it's a Mac Aff thing. It seems to me that's Jesus' posture. Look what he says in verse 8. Well, how are you going to do this? He tells you, you're going to be, you're going to receive power. Right, the, that whole. That, the, I love the sense martyr. The word martyr. I mean, witness is interesting. Did you know the word witness comes from the word martyr? Isn't that interesting? You read this pro- process that a little bit. What that what that really mean, right? That you uh, basically a person who advocates refusing to renounce the story. Right. This is my story, and I'm not going to renounce the story, no matter even if you kill me. Is the posture there? Or they refuse to advocate a belief or a cause that is fake. I'm not going to tell that story because that's not the truth. I can't be a witness to that. See, the, the, the posture in the beginning of Acts is that it takes a Christian witness that Jesus wants to use to bring about his glory, but that Christian witness has to have power. That's how he starts the journey, that's how he starts the book. Theophilus, Jesus reigns. He's alive and well. Satan wants to kill and destroy. He's going to lie to us. But guess what? God is doing something crazy. Instead of him and in himself to say, I'm just going to usher in everything, he chooses to use people. He, get, he, he dies on the cross, rises from the dead. He talks to these guys. He ascends into the heaven. And then he empowers people, clothes them on high, to have the very spirit that rose him from the dead so that the church could be built. Be 
being clothed, Judges 6, 2 Chronicles 24, 1 Chronicles 12, all has this sense. Dunamis, right? Dynamite. That's what power means. That's what, that's what the word comes from. It means dynamite. You, you, ever, you ever had a, you know, we use like M80s, you know what I'm saying, on 4th of July, right? Man, you all, ears closed, running and stuff. Dynamite. He's saying when Jesus empowers you, it's dynamite. Boom. But here's my challenge to this local body, to my brothers and sisters, to my to Mac family. Do we believe that? See, I think Acts is pausing and saying, before we get into this journey, I want to ask you something. Do you believe that God, in our doctrine, as we journey, wants to do something supernaturally outside yourself? Do we really believe that? Do we believe that God wants to heal people right now so we can see his wonders? And so we don't go shouting and thinking, oh, look how powerful we are, but we point to our Savior. See, I'm not asking us to be charismatic. I'm asking us to be responsible charismatics. I'm asking you to be theologically responsible, but in that we can have charisma because God has given it to us. See, this whole point of witness, guys, is the sense of like you speak. You hear me, guys, you speak. When you have, see, witness is different than simple avocation. Avocations, you have facts and you present those facts. Witness seems, it seems this whole sense of martus, this martyr. It's like you've experienced something. That's the beauty of Christianity. It's not just an avocation of facts. We don't just regurgitate facts to people. That's not how people come to Christ. People come to Christ because the Holy Spirit touches them in a supernatural way. And they say, for some reason, I believe this stuff. And I want your king to be my king. That's the power that God has given us. That's what he wants us to use. Not just advocation. He wants us to be a witness where supernaturally you have seen something you can't help but to testify. That's what God is trying to say to us in the beginning of Acts. He's saying, I want you to understand your life is worthy of this cause. You're thinking, man, but it's so boring and sometimes in the 4214. And I just hear it and, you, and you're struggling. And I know you're struggling because I struggle too. But we're, it's worthy. It's a worthy cause. Because our king has given us this cause for his glory. And he's saying all of life is because of this. Now the question is, Am I too focused on experience, Eric? Are you, are you, you've lost me. You've been all reformed on me for years. And all of a sudden, you just get all hypocritical. Oh, spirit, spirit, spirit. And you're scared that I'm going to have you running around here in a minute. But I'm telling you, I'm not too focused on experience. I don't want you to miss this. I hope you see the focus isn't even experience. I don't think that's the focus in the scriptures. So don't think I got to have an experience because that's not, I don't think that's, that's not biblical. God isn't saying if I'm filled, if I'm baptized, this happens. That's, I want to propose to you, I think those are lies. That's not necessarily true because we see different manifestations of the same framework. Different manifestations of baptism, different manifestations of spirit filledness. Spirit filledness, many times in the Bible, is God says, and filled with the spirit, he preached the gospel. So how do you know he was filled? How do you know when someone preaches the gospel field and when they fleshly? You don't. Jesus does. We do it by faith. Okay? So get your mind off experience. Get your mind on expectancy. Get your mind on awareness. God wants to move. He can move. He has moved. And I want him to move supernaturally in my life. And I want him to move supernaturally in the lives of people in our community. Because I want to see God do something that we cannot do. See, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is when a believer in Jesus Christ receives extraordinary power for Christ's exalting ministry. So, let's continue on and we're going to go home, guys. That's power. And look what he says in the scriptures. He gives, us, he gives us a framework. He says there's a goal. He tells us we're witnesses. He tells us we have his power. And he, and he tells us that this thing is worldwide. This thing is local. It's suburban. Right? And it's universal. It's all over. And that's what he's asking us to do. Right? And look what he says in verse 9. He says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, remember, put your mind back there. This is not just a textbook. This happened. 
You're standing there. You're talking with your Savior. You touched him. You've eaten with him. He's walking around with you. He's, when you went to bed, he hung. He, I mean, I don't know what happened. But you're watching this guy be like you, and he was dead. Guys, are you kidding me? I mean, I got scared just having a car roll down here. Can you imagine a dead dude comes in here alive? Wait a minute, and glorify, right? You saw him mutilated. You saw the blood all over the place. You heard the bones cracking. You saw the mutilation, and he comes in glorified. Resurrected body. Look what it says in the scriptures. This, I, I love this part. I just, I'm, I'm like these guys. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up. He was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went. So imagine, imagine it, guys. Why do you, you think God had to bring those two homies? See, I don't know for sure, but I'm, this is not theological. I'm not preaching this. But I'm proposing to you, God was kind of probably just with the Trinity laughing, going, oh, my goodness. They are in shock. Hey, y'all, get down there real quick because, yeah, we got to tell these brothers something. I mean, can you imagine? They are just, what? The, the, the posture is that they were just staring, right? Because it wasn't like when the angels appeared, they saw the angels. Because he says, why are you still looking up there? So the angels had to go up to him like, hey, man. Yeah, no, man. Hey, hey, I'm an angel. Look. Why you? Look at the posture there. It says, and when they lifted up, and it says, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, hanging out, standing with them. Like, have you seen any of Jones in the last crusade? You guys ever seen that? Remember when he thinks he fell off the cliff, and they're all looking off the cliff, and then he comes over and looking with him like, what y'all looking at? It's the same kind of picture. He's like, oh, Andy, you're alive. It's a great movie. You should watch it. He says, it's, it's, he says, and while they were gazing, look, he says, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? They were blown away. They saw Jesus go off. In the, so, so where did Jesus go? Let me finish this text real quick. He says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. Where did Jesus go? Okay, we talk about this a lot in our local body because I try to help us have a, a framework of resurrection life that's different than pop culture that hopefully is biblocentric. And that is, guys, get your mind biblically on what heaven's about. Heaven is actually a physical place in another realm, in another dimension. And that's why Jesus talks about being here. And then he talks about in Colossians that ba- the issue isn't that Jesus isn't here. It's he's here. You just can't see him. And that one day, things are going to appear. You hear me? Appear. And so I want to propose to you that he, and I always say this, I'm not trying to be funny, but I want to get our minds right. He did not shoot off like a rocket ship, you know, and then land like really outside of the Milky Way, right? That's not what happened. Heaven is in some way really, really, really far. That's not the point. The point is that he went off. And that he went into his throne, and he's going to bring that new creation kingdom, heaven, into earth, and he's going to have his fullness dwell. That's the point. So, he went to another place, physical place in another dimension, because he's resurrected, guys. See, he didn't go off and then become spirit again. You hear me? That's what we got to understand. Right now, you can touch Jesus. Right now. He's still a resurrected Jesus. You ever think about that? Here's the main point out of all this. So much stuff. But the main point, it seems, in this passage, as he's trying to introduce Theophilus and get him ready to rock in this series, in this this book, he's saying the resurrection is true, Theophilus, and therefore everything that's true is about Jesus. That's his point. His point of it, this is true. Your life is about Jesus. The power he gives you is about him and not about your own. See, we want power. I want power to showcase me, to meet my objectives, to make me a better person, to to do what I want to do in the world. You name it. God is saying, release those lies. 
Renew our minds. He does not want to give you Holy Spirit power so that you can do something really cool in this community and go, wow, that was cool, and then give Jesus a little praise. He really wants us to understand that he, at our heart level, he gives us power for his mission. And he wants to give it. He does give it. And he wants us to be expectant and aware. So that's why. See, this is all about Jesus' mission. That's why when we formed Mac Avenue Community Church, Pastor Leon, Eric, myself, we sat down. We did not, we think it's weird, almost we would say unbiblical to sit down and say, okay, what's our mission? You know why? Because we didn't sit down going, what's Mac Ave's mission? That's unbiblical. Jesus already gave you the mission. Well, we said, and that's why y'all all, y'all still, y'all still mad that our mission's so boring, right? Well, what's, your, what's your mission? Oh, you know, bring glory to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what's your mission? Right? <laughs> we like, that's our mission. That's what we do. We bring glory to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the way we do that practically, right, we make disciples, right? So we can say it in different ways, right? Being and making disciples, but we bring glory to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the way we flesh out in our community is our vision, how we flesh that out. But the mission is the same. And so when people ask you what's the mission, we can say bring, bring glory to God through the power of the Holy Spirit, or you can say what Jesus told us to do. It's all the same. But we don't sit there and come up with a really pithy saying and have a, you know, a chalkboard and try and figure out how to hook up the mission because it's his mission. Okay, guys. The mission is for everybody. Um, for everybody to participate in and everybody to receive. Just notice that, guys. just want to encourage us as we leave to ask one question. Do you believe God wants to supernaturally empower you and empower this church and empower the church university to do things that are so outside ourselves. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God wants to use you in a way where you go, that was Jesus. When you share your faith, when you love your neighbors, when you knock on that door, do you say, when you're managing, you know, an enterprise, do you say, no, Lord, Lord, empower me to do things and to say things that only you can do and say. Are you expectant? Are you aware? We're going to have a time of tithing and offering. Thank you guys for...